Hello, Wizard fans, and welcome to another episode of the Off the Bench podcast presented by the Alibaba Group. I'm your host, Jackson Filio, joined today by Zach Rosen and Chris Gehring of WashingtonWizards.com. On this episode, we've got an interview with Bullets legend Bob Dandridge, and we're going to recap a couple of home wins from this past weekend. We'll start there. Uh, Thursday night, the Wizards get a win over the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, they give up 60 in the first half, but the defense turns it around in the second. Uh, what did you guys see from the team, specifically in that Hornets win, that really stood out to you guys? Well, it's the elevated play of Bradley Beal, obviously. As we've seen, his last six games have been remarkable, um, averaging close to 39 points a game. Just shooting numbers are way up from what they were. I mean, he's he's found his three-point stroke again. Uh, but that game was about defense in the second half, I think, they realized, hey, we're a better team than the Charlotte team. We can lock them up. We know what to do against them. We've seen them twice already this year. Uh, Troy Brown and Isaac Bongo were both really good defensively in that game. Thomas Bryant, who had two great games over the weekend, has 21-8, and eight, shoots 9-11 of 11 from the field. We see, we've seen it now, I guess, three games in a row dating back to Milwaukee where – Bryant and Beal have their chemistry back from last year. You're seeing the pick and roll work effectively. Bryant's not popping as much. He's rolling, which has been a huge emphasis for the Wizards. Um, They've got enough shooters, so they need Thomas to go to the rim where he is one of the best finishers in the league. You can see his defense has gotten better too, I think. Um, So that game was all about defense, really, in the second half. Um, I thought Beal's ability to get to the line again and again, as we've seen now, is is a pattern was big in that game it, it gets in the head of the opponents um once that whistle keeps going your way it's frustrating to play defense which i think the wizards saw against the nets when they kept getting called for fouls in the second half but they were able to turn that game around too yeah i mean sure. beal goes to the line 15 times in both of these games becomes the first player since or joins james harden and Allen iverson as the only player since 1998 to go four straight games with 15 free throw attempts which is pretty remarkable yeah transitioning to that brooklyn game a little bit i I think early on the the big story was how are the wizards gonna slow down kyrie irving who's coming off a 54 point game the night before against the bulls and you know insert gary payton the second who really made life difficult for Kyrie in in the early going yeah he did an unbelievable job from the beginning setting the tone on a guy like Kyrie who you know obviously Kyrie is at the very very top of any scouting report when you look at any team that he is on and it was very clear that Gary was given the task you are pestering Kyrie Irving when he's in the game that's it that's your that's your role tonight and you know, we, we, we've learned time and time again when Gary gets those assignments, especially on guys, Kyrie's not that big. Gary has the, the – the, he has the size and the ability to get in front of these guys, especially when he's, the, when he's the bigger defender. It's really, really difficult because he has good hands. He has the tenacity to guard somebody one-on-one. And when you ask somebody to do that as their number one task, he knows where he's putting his energy on the floor when he's, on, when he's out there. And it was incredibly effective. Luckily, also by the, that that Kyrie is okay. We're glad that his his knees are right after the, that run in with Bradley Beal later in the game. But yeah, neutralizing Kyrie, especially with this Nets team right now, we knew that Spencer Dinwiddie, um, some other guys could DeAndre Jordan was a problem on the boards. We knew those things about them. But when you cut off the head of the snake, quite literally, in Kyrie's case, as the point guard for this team, it just it makes it really hard on them. We'll see. Obviously, this is not. This is not Brooklyn's year. We know that with Kevin Durant, 
we know that you know, Kyrie's been in and out of the lineup quite a bit already as well. But this was a really good win for the Wizards. The Nets were, have been playing a little bit better. We saw and we noticed when we talked in-game, just watching that how deep that team is still with a lot of wings. They've got good bigs. They've got good depth down low as well. And that was another game. I know that Thomas Bryant was frustrated that he got taken out at certain points of that <laughs> game as they're managing his minutes. We watched him get a little frustrated. But playing the same way, Bradley Beal, I think, said after the Nets game. If not, it was after Charlotte. But that he needs Thomas rolling to the rim. He needs him being active down low. He needs him attacking. And it makes them really, really difficult to guard when they play that two-man game. And so we saw another great example of it. The Wizards got another win at home. It's a, This is that home stretch that I know that the Wizards had in mind, that we looked at the schedule and said, this is where they can make some hay. They could make make up some games, get some wins, and they got two. It was, it was another really, really impressive win. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned the injury that Kyrie suffered. I think very, very fortunate that that didn't turn out to be serious. It, it looked yeah. kind of nasty in the moment. But that was midway through the fourth quarter, and credit to Gary Payton. Kyrie left that game with just 11 points. So yeah. a lot of credit to him. He did a fantastic job. Beal scored 15 of his 34 in the fourth quarter to close it out and get the Wizards a nice win there. Um, three blocks and three steals, too, by the way, for absolutely. Brad. Another thing where I know that – writers have knocked his defense and all this stuff and it's just another example of you know brad has had a lot on his plate this season uh, really for the last two seasons and this was another good game for him you can tell that he's just he is playing with a renewed purpose right now i'm not saying that that's ever left him but he's playing with a lot of energy right now and it's fun to watch and it produced on it produced results on both ends of the floor in this game and when he when he's playing like that uh, no matter who is out there with him, but as the Wizards start to get healthy, um, it's a it's a totally different story, a different Wizards team. And nine rebounds, nine assists against Charlotte in the Thursday night game, we should mention. So Brad is really getting back to that, doing a little bit of everything that uh, really defined, I think, the early stages of his season this year. Transitioning to some segments, some stock up, stock down. We'll start with a stock up, the Wizards' depth. We are recording this episode uh, Monday afternoon before the Wizards host the Golden State Warriors tonight, and they are getting some reinforcements. Rui Hachimura, who missed the last 23 games with a groin injury, is back. Moritz Wagner, who missed the last 25 games with a sprained left ankle, is back. Um, and what has been a stretch over the last roughly two months at this point where the Wizards have just been devastated by injuries, missing as many as seven players at a time, seems to be coming to an end. There's still a few guys left on the injury report. McCray is out with a sprained ankle. Uh, John Wall obviously still rehabbing that Achilles injury and popped up actually just before we started recording this podcast. Davis Bertans is questionable tonight with some neck stiffness, but the reinforcements are coming, guys. Yeah, with getting Rui and Mo back, it's funny how they go from having virtually no bigs for a long stretch of time or at least bigs that had experience or had played earlier in the season and now you have a surplus of course Berton's getting injured uh he's just a little banged up neck stiffness so you know who knows he could have slept poorly one night and it just started bothering him um he should you know he'll be back on this home stand if he doesn't return tonight and you look at now the starting lineup is going to change I'm sure Rui will start I think you could see Thomas Bryant re-enter the starting lineup at some point um I don't know how you maneuver everything else. Um, perhaps they just switch off between Peyton and, and Bonga uh, at the three or have Beal slide to the three. We'll see. It depends on the team that they play. 
Um, but excited to see Rui and Mo come back. I think it's just a renewed energy, uh, renewed energy. You look at uh, trade deadlines Thursday, right? So they get some of their pieces back as if you know they didn't trade anything for them, which I know a lot of teams like to look at, like Oladipo for the Pacers. It's like you they were just hurt. So maybe John Wall comes back later in the year. He fills into that category as well. Um, but it's exciting. I think this is a good time to come back. The Warriors are not having a great season. Obviously, they're missing their all-star backcourt, who are two two Hall of Famers already, and they're in their 20s. So um, it'll be it'll be a good game to come back to for them. Yeah, a stock down on kind of on the same token as the depth improving is the minutes available. This is going to get a little trickier for Coach Brooks. Now it's a good problem to have having options but you look at the the Wizards big man rotation now you've got Jan Mahimi and Thomas Bryant who have established roles over the course of the last two months or weeks I guess in Thomas Bryant's case Rui and Mo coming back and then AP signed his contract recently with the team and is a part of this rotation so what has to be done from you know coach Brooks standpoint to manage these minutes yeah I think it shifts I think it just shifts his mindset from who do I have available to where do I want to match up better against the the opponent on any given night? And Mo and Rui specifically, with the way that they can, well, Mo's energy, the way that he can play, he's he's a bona fide big down low. I mean, he's he can really switch pretty well. But Rui too, I mean, he can really look at the opponent now and try to mi- create the mismatches that he wants to create. Whereas in the past, it was it was really in these last couple months he's really just been trying to find a rotation on, on a night-to-night basis so I think that that's the big difference is that the his mindset from a rotation standpoint just completely flips to how do we want to play how is best for us tonight uh, I think that that's kind of what they always want that's the mindset that coaches always want to be in when you have your full arsenal have your full arsenal back excuse me I think that that really helps kind of create that atmosphere once again so yeah, it, 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 the minutes are going to not dry up, but they're going to get tighter for sure. There are guys that are going to need minutes, and it'll be very, very interesting to see how he deals with it on a night-to-night basis. I would assume you could see AP going to to get assigned to the go-go. Yep. They are lacking depth at center, so that could help them and help his development. Uh, trade deadline's coming up. You don't know if some moves will take place. Um, and then Jonathan Williams is on the two-way. He'll probably spend a lot of time with the G League Another note, Garrison Matthews is healthy. Right. He's, he was with the G League the other night. Don't know if he'll come up with McRae Hurt. Um, doesn't seem to be necessary quite yet, but you kind of want him to get some action down there while he can. These are all, like I said, good problems for the Wizards right. to have. Very yeah. different from finally, the conversations that yes. we've had for the last two months. You it's, have all the puzzle pieces, yeah. finally, yeah. Um, one more stock up, the Wizards' defense. Last week they received the stock down treatment, but... After you know, they a pair must have of, saw it or heard it. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pair of consecutive 150 point games they gave up last week, and in both wins this weekend, they gave up just 107 points. Now, small sample size, nothing to get overly excited about or anything like that, but it's a noted improvement and evidence that they took something from what Coach Brooks was was saying last week. I think what Chris touched upon with Beal, you know, getting kind of a spark after his All Star snub and. People, writers calling him out for his defense and all that, I think it starts there. I mean, sets the tone. But you're also seeing that the guys he plays around in the starting lineup, now that they're getting more comfortable with each other between Bonga, Peyton, and Mahinmi are all really good defenders. So I think that helps. 
Um, but it's really like focus and opponents. I mean, the Hawks and the Bucks have really good offenses, first of all. And then Hornets are like dead last in offense. And the Nets have been trying to put pieces together. That's part of the equation. But I do think, as Coach Brooks has referenced, if you take away those 250 uh, point games and the Raptors 140, which I know is taking away a lot of the sample size, but still dating back about 15 games, the defense has been better. Um, so we are seeing improvement there. I think you'll see the defense continue to succeed the rest of this homestand. Um, it's just they need to take it on the road. I mean, we'll talk about next about the home record, but 6-20 and 20 on the road, 500 at home, something's got to give. And let's play a little real or fake right now. You mentioned it. We're going to talk about this Wizards stretch of home games. Dating back to January 4th, it's now 6-7 of seven at home that they've won three straight. Uh, and have gotten themselves back up to 500 at Capital One Arena this season. Uh, Coach Brooks talked about it, actually, after the win over Brooklyn. We're comfortable. Our crowd's great. There's a good atmosphere tonight. Uh, they want to see effort, and they're getting it. They're getting it. Like I said, we're, we're, we're playing as hard as we can. There's not, we're not a perfect basketball team, and guys are not going to always play perfect, but their effort has been pretty, pretty good, pretty consistent. And that's what every fan base wants to see. And they, and they see our players growing up. Before this run, guys, they had been 5-10 and 10 at home. So it is kind of a small sample size recently. Early in the season, it's not like they've been dominant at home all season long. Is this real? Is this fake? Is it just opponents? Um, what is this? I think it's a co- it's, it has to be a combination for sure. But we have also seen in the past, and we're not the only NBA team that's like this, but... When you get comfortable at home and you get on a roll, there's something about it. There's the there's the comfort factor that it just it just matters. You see it in playoffs. You see it in regular season runs. We saw a few a couple years ago just an unbelievable run. That was a different Wizards team. But there's something about when you find chemistry on your home court that it makes it easier to keep going. And I, I think that that's what the Wizards are finding. But they're also finding these they're finding the ways to win that are consistent you know having good defensive quarters can spark good offensive runs we know that this team has offensive firepower so they're 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 honing in on a couple of different things i think right now i think that it's it's happened to occur at home which is part of why it's it's hard to say whether this is like a a pattern for the rest of the year or not we'll see what like rosen said when they take it on the road we'll see but i think they're finding the little keys to success they're finding ways to spark big runs and when you go on big runs at home that kind of energy gets amplified because you get the crowd behind you it's just it's a natural human reaction when you get the crowd behind you so they're finding ways to get that going and yeah the the challenge will be obviously to can they do it away from home I think even as coach Brooks said like this is really good for those young players that are growing up in front of the eyes of the home fans and everybody's getting to see that development take place right here and the Wizards have just been really good at home under coach brooks just in general yeah i don't know what it is but um even in the playoffs if you look back since right. he's been the coach right. they've lost like one game at home or two games at home yep. during his tenure so something's got to give with the comfort here like he said i mean but yeah that you see that across the league teams are just better at home yep. all right up next we've got an interview with former washington bullet bob dandridge who was a member of the team's 1978 title team and the 1979 trip to China. And on the 40th anniversary of that trip, the organization celebrated that and talked uh, about what that meant. So uh, here's Bob Dandridge. 
Hello, Wizards fans. Uh, we're recording this one prior to the Saturday night game against the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Thursday against the Hornets, the organization celebrated the start of Chinese New Year. And to continue that celebration a bit, we're paying tribute to the 40th anniversary of the Bullets' 1979 trip to China. And we're actually joined now by former Bullet Bob Dandridge, four-time All-Star, two-time champion, uh, and a guy who was on that trip. Bob, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. <laughs> Uh, on that trip, over you guys were there for two weeks. Um, played a couple exhibition games, toured some historic sites, saw some scenes, uh, and you know, went to a place that not a lot of people in the NBA had gone before. What do you remember specifically from that trip? I remember the the changing of various airlines. <laughs> <laughs> I think we probably went on about three different airlines and interesting uh, enough the last flight the Chinese airline was probably the better of the airlines that we went on and that was sort of surprising but the thing that I remembered the most was um, the getting up the first morning that we did finally get to sleep and seeing maybe almost about 2,500 citizens within a block's distance on bikes. And there were no accidents, back, bike accidents for the whole two weeks that we were there. And that was somewhat fascinating. And a lot of the streets were unpaved, but it was a very clean city because about Every three or four hours, you would see people coming along with brooms, cleaning the street, cleaning up the trash. And of course, going to the Great Wall uh, was just awesome. Uh, and I think down in the city in Beijing, you know, every, you know, people had on shorts and short sleeve shirts. So when we got on the bus for that trip, that's the way we were dressed, so we almost froze by the time as we ascended uh, along the Great Wall. And that was probably three significant memories that I have of that trip. You guys were there for two weeks, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that sounds like a long time. What percentage of that was basketball for you guys, and what percentage was going around and seeing sites and shaking hands and meeting people and being ambassadors? Probably only 15% uh, was basketball. Most of it was the ambassador role. And little did we know, being young at that time in our 30s, that we were <laughs> the significance of the trip of being the first pro team from the U.S. to venture or to go to China, and it's probably been over the last 10 years that I personally have realized what a groundbreaking trip that was at that particular time, you know, when you you guys wouldn't remember. Uh, but uh, at 30, you, you know, you take things sort of for granted, and I think we just thought, Oh, what a great guy Mr. Poland is to be taking us, <laughs> you know, to China. 
And so we, it's only been in about the last 15 years, especially being here with the Wizards organization, organization such a great support from the Chinese community in this area have I truly realized the significance of that trip. Yeah, and you look at the league now, and it's renowned for its global popularity, not just in China, but in a number of different continents across the world. The NBA is very popular. How much pride do you take in knowing that you guys and the organization as a whole were a big part of laying the foundation for that? Well, I said it's only been in the last 10 years, and, you know, as as I've gotten older, uh, I was talking to um, Greg Ballard, and it's amazing that he and his wife had the whole trip documented by by way of pictures and I mean she must have three or four hundred pictures of us on that trip and it was amazing to look back at those pictures and even uh, recently I was with uh, a couple from China and they may be in their mid-50s. And they um, were amazed at the attire or the dress of their native countrymen uh, 20 years before they were born. And that lets me know about the progression of China since the time we went there. And you guys, you guys, did you go back to kind of revisit and kind of celebrate that trip? And how, how have you, have you been back since? And how has it changed um, since you went? And, you know, the game has obviously exploded there. There, there are so many NBA fans. Um, what's been the, what was the difference if you, when you guys went back? Well, we haven't been back as a group, but I had the opportunity probably about 15 years after that trip. I went on a trip with um, guys like Earl Monroe, Rick Barrett, Pete Maravich was living at that time. Phil Jackson was not even a coach <laughs> in the NBA. And, you know, when we went back, the hotel that we stayed in had electricity in it. But the first hotel that we stayed in had some traces of electricity. <laughs> but the second time that I went back uh, after the first trip with the bullets, there was noticeable difference. And the first trip, uh, doing construction, a lot of the there were no caterpillars. There were no uh, machinery that dug the holes, you know, for the foundation to be laid in. So in a, in, in a difference of maybe about 15 to 20 years between the two trips, there was a significant difference in terms of modernization of China. You obviously had won the championship prior to that. You went back to the championship. 
what was it like being like the world champions in China? I, I can only imagine what I mean. We see the reaction now when teams go back. Like the Warriors have been there after they've won. How crazy was it? And could you really go anywhere? I mean, I guess because most of the team was African American. I think that was a giveaway. That was the giveaway and the big astonishing things because. They probably had never seen African-Americans before. And um, we were a marked group because at that time, uh, the Chinese Olympic teams were emerging and becoming competitive. And they had a couple of um, Players that were known internationally, I could never remember their names or even try to pronounce them, but they had one guard that was an international figure. And then at that time, they had a center that was like seven-something, some crazy, ridiculous height. And this was before George Murison came along. And so when we went there, I mean, it was an anti-Bullets crowd because basketball was emerging. And they knew that we were the best of the best in the number one basketball culture and country in the world. So, I mean, they were very excited about the game and the cheering that they did was for their Chinese Olympic team. So we were definitely at uh, a home court (laughs) disadvantage. They had the home court. And so, but it was, it was just exciting to, because we had to play by the international rules. They took advantage of every opportunity and you know, we were probably well in 34, 35 years old, and these these were young guys, like 21 and 22, so we had to substitute on a, reg- <laughs> a regular basis. And I think we barely got out of there with a victory. I was just going to say, you were with us in London last year, too. Oh. <laughs> was it kind of like that? I mean, that was a very heavy Knicks crowd. Was it kind of like that vibe? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was It was that type of vibe uh, where we were definitely the visiting team. Mm-hmm. And you were all Americans, too. Yeah. Like, you, this, it's, so, it's such an international game now, and we have guys from different countries on pretty much every team, but all of you guys were Americans. Yeah. So it, was, it really was like a... You were like a national team almost, <laughs> yeah. the champions, you know, and it's just interesting how that's evolved. You know, and it was interesting because they were very knowledgeable of our status in the basketball world, and it's just like uh, a truly competitive environment of them wanting to knock off not only a team from the United States, but the best team from the United States. So it was a very prideful uh, situation for them. Fast forwarding a little bit to now, you spend (laughs) a lot of time around the organization as the executive director of our alumni group. Um, We had Andre Miller on earlier this season, and he talked a little bit about how he enjoyed getting away from the game and 
distancing himself just for relaxation purposes in uh, his post-career life. You haven't done that. Was it important to you to stay close to basketball in your post-playing career? Well, I really stayed away for quite a few years. I mean, in between my retirement in 81, uh, you know, I sort of waffled around getting a taste of what the real <laughs> world was like. <laughs> um, and my sister always accused me of never really knowing what a real job was. <laughs> And uh, after being out there for about 15 years, it wasn't that exciting. <laughs> and so I found a way to start working with the Players Union back in maybe 96. I did that for a couple of years. I had my own nonprofit, but I also worked in some of the pre-draft camps, sort of weaseling my way back in, and I got an opportunity with the Wizards about six years ago, which sort of ushered my way back into the league. And, uh, you know, once you get out of the league, um, it's good to be away from basketball for a while, but then you got to go through a whole new learning curve. And that's not a lot of fun, that new learning curve. And Andre, well, his big advantage was he made millions of dollars, <laughs> so it's unfair <laughs> to compare his retirement <laughs> with mine because he probably won't have to work. <laughs> <laughs> so Andre got a big advantage <laughs> on me, but I wish him well. But I've met Andre and talked to him instinctively, and you know, Lee, and I think with his type of character and personality, he wants to be doing something every day because what I found out that going to work serves a major purpose besides the money that you make because somebody, in fact, uh, Mr. Poland, the previous owner, had told me that, uh, you know, if you don't use your mind, then it's just like your body atrophy sets into your mind and uh, Andre did express some some desires to coach so I think he he's taken off a year or so but I, I guarantee you in the, shortly he, he will want to be doing something every day you mentioned Andre specifically and you get to spend a lot of time around guys after their careers and help them take those next steps and make sure that they're um, you know enjoying that post-career life and reaping the benefits of having played in the NBA for so many years. What advice do you have for players that are still in the game as, as to how to put themselves in the best position after their playing career? Uh, building relationships. I think building relationships with the people whose paths you cross is just of the utmost importance. Uh, building relationships so that especially if you want to stay in the NBA and stay connected is, you know, knowing the names and being able to communicate with everybody. I mean, from coaches to GMs to, to scouts, 
and to be able to do it throughout the league. Don't just limit yourself to the personnel or the teams that you may work for. And, and, and I just think the key word is building relationships because it's not a matter of how much basketball you know, it's who you know in this league. And I think the key is building those relationships uh, with teammates, coaches, throughout the whole league. Who are, who are some of those people? I know you, you played in the league at a totally different time than the guys now, obviously. Guys are so connected now. We have cell phones and all this stuff that it's all instant. But what? who are some of the guys that from either your teammates or your opponents that you that you played with or against that really lasted into your you know your retirement career guys that you stayed in touch with uh, that you worked with either here in Washington or, or elsewhere I would say that you know my I've been blessed because I mean I got a Rolodex of uh, contact now <laughs> list I mean, there are very few guys that I played with during my era that I, if it's once a year, you name it, um, Willis Reed, uh, Rod Thorne, um, Kareem, the big O, um, um, Earl Monroe, Walt Frazier, I mean, Paul Westfall, uh, Rick Barry. I mean, so, I mean, that's what makes the job with the Wizards not so complicated because I'm in contact with players from my era all the time, and it's the relationship thing. Um, I was trying to find uh, Rashid Lewis. Nobody knew. I go and look at this gold three, this three-on-three league thing, and here Rick Barry is coaching him. (laughs) (laughs) So I call Rick Barry, and Rick Barry gives me his cell phone number. I mean, I tried to uh, catch up with uh, Gilbert Arenas playing in the three-on-three league. Rick Mahorn coaches him was able to get in touch with him. And again, it's the relationships that we build while you're in this league, and no matter if it's a teammate or another person. I even ran into uh, an official. Uh, <laughs> I can't think of his name, but he and the official and I never got along. But when I saw him, it was just so good to see him, and we both remembered certain confrontations <laughs> we had. But it was fun, you know. Uh, so again, it's relationships. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us here today. <laughs> uh, we've got, uh, you know, we've got some basketball to watch, Bob. I know you've got a bunch of stuff to do. Yes. Tonight. Um, so for Zach Rosen, for Chris Gehring, Bob, thanks so much for stopping by today. Oh, it's my pleasure. All right, Wizards fans, that will do it for today. Before we go, just a 
couple quick notes. Again, the Wizards continue their homestand tonight at 7 against the Warriors and then have three days off before hosting the Mavericks Friday night at 7. Against Dallas, all fans in attendance are going to receive a, a nice limited edition team poster. And then on Sunday, the team hosts the Grizzlies at 6 p.m. and the first 10,000 fans uh, are actually going to get a special Ish, Ish Smith pop socket. Um, last week, the NBA announced that Rui Hachimura and Moritz Wagner, who we mentioned are going to return tonight against the Warriors, will actually be participating for Team World in the NBA Rising Stars game at All-Star Weekend. That will do it for today, Wizards fans. Thank you for joining us, and we'll be back later in the week.